Welcome back to I Loved This Conversation. I'm Alex Salzberg. I'm an animation director. Do I say director much? I am. I do that. I'm a writer, not in the WGA, but I support all of them and the actors too, and a podcaster right now while I talk to you. And I do a lot of editing. It's a lot of work, actually. I I should proudly call myself that. This is the podcast where I talk to creative people in my growing creative community about what is going on in their creative lives. I'm always looking to recreate those great conversations that artists have over coffee or lunch or long phone calls, the way we can just get into it about creativity and about our lives and where everything overlaps. And I hope that listening to this feels like that. In less than two minutes, you'll hear my conversation with Catherine Tacconi and Will Cologne, co-founders of Open Pixel Studios in Western Massachusetts. Uh, we recorded virtually. They were out there. I was in Boston. I've known Will and Catherine for years, and like me, they run an animation business. So obviously, like we connect about a lot of things. But as you'll hear, I've always been impressed and inspired by how thoughtful they are about their business. They really do a lot of intentional planning. They ask themselves a lot of questions. They communicate communicate a lot. They're really thoughtful about their values as an art business, like how they market themselves, but also with how they connect with their community. (laughs) When I look at them, I really feel like I'm just like tumbling ass backwards into being an artist with a business. Um, But it's fun to pick their brains because I really admire them and it inspires me to be more uh, intentional too. I'm recording this intro at my desk in Tel Aviv. Um, If you're listening the day it comes out, I'm on a plane back to Boston. I'm still feeling mostly calm about having a baby in September. I announced that last week. You should go listen. But I have a feeling that the moment that the wheels touch down in Boston, it's all going to become real to me and it will feel like the real countdown begins. So we'll see how I'm feeling next time I talk to you. Uh, I don't have much else to say about me, but this is one of those episodes where you kind of get to know me a little bit too. So thank you to Will and Catherine for asking some generous questions and making room for me to talk about myself a little bit. Two things to give you quick context on before we start. Animatic Boston is the animation group that I co-founded and hosted Artist Talks for. And Stop and Shop is a Northeast U.S. grocery chain that has a robot roaming the aisles. Uh, When you get to that part, Google Marty if you want a visual. You'll hear my feelings about him. Okay, let's meet our guests and hear their connection to me. So my name is Catherine Tacconi. I'm co-founder at Open Pixel Studios. And we met, I believe, at one point via email when I saw that Animatic Boston was a thing. I don't remember if we went out to an event first. This was in the before times, so many moons ago. But yeah, we kind of hit it off right away and just continued the conversation since. Yeah, my name is Will Cologne. I'm also the co-founder of Open Pixel Studios. I think the first time we met, we were going to speak at your event around our company and you had some questions. And I think we met at a cafe in downtown Boston, had a really great time talking about just creative things. What I do remember, (laughs) and I still feel bad about this, is that when we first met over email, we made plans to meet halfway because I was based in Boston and and I'm still, and and you were both, now I shouldn't remind you of this. You're going to get mad again. (laughs) Yeah, we did. I did not remember. (laughs) And you're in the Springfield area and I think we were going to meet somewhere in like Worcester, that area. I actually pride myself in being very organized with my calendar and about once a year, just something happens where like I don't check it that day or or my brain deletes it or something. And I 
completely flaked <laughs> on it. And we hadn't exchanged phone numbers. So you were, I think, right. emailing me and <laughs> I wasn't checking and I felt terrible. But the positive side of this story and something I really appreciate is that you could have both written me off as just like, he's a flake. It's not worth having any sort of connection or, or friendship with him. And you gave me another chance and we met up at some <laughs> point. And I, I feel we've had this kinship as Boston animation freelancy studio people. I appreciate the second chance. I think of you guys when someone flakes on me and I give them a second chance. I really do. I'm serious. Like, I'm like, oh, you know. What a compliment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah really. <laughs> that's so funny. If you don't mind, I have to quickly share a story related to times when we think about you now, because sure. we were actually recently out in Los Angeles. We went to an animation conference and towards the end of the week, we had just gotten done with a really good conversation. We got in the car and we both looked at each other and we were like, man, we had such a good conversation. And the moment that happened, all of a sudden on like the car speaker, we heard and the weirdest part, the car wasn't on, right? It was right, just... <laughs> right. It was just, yeah, it I was great that. though. I love that I haunt your good conversation somehow. <laughs> um, that's great. Well, our opening question, what is something you're currently going through in your creative life? Will, I'll, I'll let you take it away first. Man, so many things. As an artist, I think I always struggle with identity. I think identity haunts me as a person. I'm from Puerto Rico. I'm Puerto Rican, but I grew up in sort of a mostly African-American community. And then I moved out to a mostly white community. And so I've been sort of identifying with these three different groups throughout my whole life, different versions of how I see the world. Sometimes I struggle with that a little bit. And that has come up recently because I think the identity of the studio is in flux a little bit. Our third co-founder stepped away recently. Oh, okay. And so we're going through a transitional period in our company as well. A lot of the questions we're asking ourselves is what is the identity of the company? What is the identity of the business? How do we decide who to work with? We're asking a lot of those like really tough questions and it's been difficult to wrap our heads around how many questions we have to ask before we're done. These kind of two overlapping things of your personal journey with identity identity from how you grew up and then sort of these current questions about identity of your company and your company also is you as an artist in a sense. How do those two things overlap for you? Is it just whoop, another identity crisis or are they overlapping in a more physical way? Like where you're thinking a lot about your personal identity as you ask these questions about your studio? The latter. I feel like having an identity crisis basically every 10 years is standard for someone like me who <laughs> you know grew up in these different communities. Yeah. Every once in a while, when we talk about the business, it, you hit the nail on the head. Like we are the company how we portray ourselves and how whether or not we're living up to the open part of open pixel is always a question that's part of our identity i don't know to me it feels like identity to an artist is like the fuel of their passion you try to put it so much into the work and being a business owner feels like I got to steal a little bit of that away from me and put it into the business so that other people can also get some fuel from who we are. It's kind yeah. of feeding the fires <laughs> in, in both places. You know, it was interesting on the sort of business side, you know, when we started, we're, we're three identities trying to figure out how we put all of our identities into the company. Yeah. And I remember when we started, we had to answer a question very quickly of like, what are our values that come together and that strengthen the company? And where are there values that 
maybe the company doesn't need to solve all of them or like in, inject everything in because it's kind of like a relationship almost. You can't expect your significant other to meet every single value that you have in your, right. <laughs> in your life, right? So it's a kind of similar th- situation with the company. And so where where I am as a creative at the moment, I think I'm also going through a little bit of this artist identity crisis, I would call it. I think part of it comes from this sort of transition from, especially when a lot of people start a company, they're in invested in a lot of the creative that you spend on it. You're putting a lot of time and energy into that space. And so now that we're more focused on the idea of like, okay, well, we want to be more involved in the business backend operations. And maybe that means that, you know, that character animation, that project that comes through, maybe I don't touch it. And as a character animator, I'm like, <laughs> but, but my, you know, <laughs> yeah, where, oh where do I put my animation energy then towards? And how do I transition into this sort of new space of creative leadership. I think that's a big one right now. I'm going through a year-long program for creative managers and executives to understand the different creative challenges with being a leader. So yeah, my creative journey feels very loose and messy right now. And Mm. I'm learning how to sit with that and be comfortable (laughs) in that uncomfortable feeling, if that makes sense. Yeah, (laughs) it makes so much sense. And I think actually my what I want to talk about, I think we'll bring in all of this stuff because uh, this might sound weird how I'm going to preface this direction, but bring it on. I, (laughs) you know, again, as as we touched at the beginning, ever since I accidentally stood you guys up, we've had a relationship as fellow Massachusetts studio owners, freelancers, and whatever in between, however, talk about identity. That's my, we talked about this a little on your podcast, but my confused identity is like, am I a studio owner or am I a freelancer? I've always felt a camaraderie with you. And every time we talk, I feel like I relate so much in that essentially in many ways, we're doing the same thing. We're making a living by selling our services as animators. And yet I've always found this difference between us. We kind of have the same goals, but somehow from my perspective, so I was trying to think of a metaphor. If you like came up with this, like you're LinkedIn, I'm Craigslist. Um, <laughs> or I was kind of thinking it's like a lady in the tramp thing a little bit. Like I'm, but then the, the best, the best one I came up with was we're swimming in the same waters, but you got in there with like a perfectly polished Olympic high dive. And I'm like constantly belly flopping into that. <laughs> and what I mean is that like for better, or for worse, you're both more focused on long-term thinking and strategy and intentional questions. And I think my approach is I'm a very hindsight, like, okay, well, that just happened. What did I learn from it? Oh, I guess I'm a business now. Uh, but I guess what I'm asking is make me feel better by revealing that you're actually a hot mess. No, I'm just, I'm kidding. I don't know. But that's, the, that's where I wanted to go yeah. with it. That's totally yeah. where I wanted to go. Cause I, I feel that completely. Cause I could say the same thing on, on our side is that like, I totally feel that like, what are we doing? Like, are we doing things right? I, I've learned more and more over our conversations that we've had and then conversations within the business. Mm -hmm. that a lot of the times we have the same exact goal. We want to get to the same place, but we have so many different approaches. And that's where like the potential strain or feeling different or conflicting comes from. And it's not to say that any of them are necessarily right or wrong. They're just, you know, based on our own perspectives or our own experiences. And so there's something there about like the external facing side of where it looks like we have (laughs) our shit together. (laughs) (laughs) But then like internally, it's like, oh, what's going on? like what is what is happening in the business but i think it's a maybe a mixture of 
having extra resources, right? Having even two or three people allowed mm. for more space to have some of the conversations that I know are, are harder as a like a solopreneur as as we hear it called <laughs> nowadays, right? Maybe some of it was that it was a necessity because you had when you started three people that you had to like do more long term planning because you had to all be on the same page where as one person, I could just kind of be- like belly flop in. <laughs> What I am actually interested in, it's nice to hear that you feel like a hot mess sometimes. That really does make Yeah, I, I don't want to leave that segment without without <laughs> concurring and confirming. Dittoing the hot mess, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Hot mess, <laughs> up and down, left and right. Like, there's a ton of conversations that we have internally yeah. around, are we doing this correctly? What's mm-hmm. the right way? What's the right approach? It does seem like you uh, both, or as a company, are very much prioritizing a lot of the kind of capital B business stuff, I guess. You're, you are prioritizing a lot of marketing strategy, a lot of seemingly long-term thinking about things like values. And I am curious, like, how and when are you making time and energy for that? I look at all the stuff you're doing, I'm like, I should do that. And then I feel tired. <laughs> <laughs> so like, yeah, maybe where, where's your source of energy for that? And and how and when are you making time for that? For a lot of things, I feel like I'm the source of energy where I'm like, ah, oh, we got to do this. Uh-huh. Check this out. Like, you know, AI is new. Like, how do we figure that out? So, um, so it's potentially a nervous energy. No. Well, so when I graduated college, and I'm sure maybe we've all been in this situation where you, as an artist, don't know where to go. Yeah. You have no idea what's next. And you don't know how to sell yourself as an artist. You don't know how that's going to work. You know that people are making money from their artwork. You've seen it. You've seen people get paid for it. But you as a student really don't understand what that's like. So we want to solve that problem. You know, artists really, and you're kind of in a way, not proving my point, but the way we think about, you know, capital B business, we think about is like businesses are are sort of anti-art in Mm. a way, or like Mm -hmm. anti-like creativity for some reason. And then creatives, business people are like, oh, they're just artists. They're like, they're going to do whatever (laughs) they want. And they're like never going to take direction and never listen. And those are both stereotypes, right? Like you can have creative companies that do really, really good work and work with really, really fun creatives who understand business work. I don't know. There's these two energies that I, I, my whole life, I guess after college, I've been wanting to fix that in some way. And so because we've been asking all these questions, a lot of these questions have answered that for us. And it kind of ties back to my identity in a little bit, because I was thinking about how do I translate myself into the African-American community, the white community, the Puerto Rican community? How do I talk to those people so that they understand me? And Puerto Ricans who speak English are the best translators for Spanish because they both, they can understand both those languages and communicate those back to the people who need it. And so we serve a really critical role in our families usually. You know, if my mom doesn't, can't speak English necessarily to like a government person, then I have to go and do that, right. that kind of translation. And so I see that as the same two entities where they're they're trying to communicate and like, okay, how can I serve this this role here? Um, right. So that's where my energy comes from. Did you grow up in Puerto Rico or you grew up in a Puerto Rican family somewhere else? My parents were born in Puerto Rico. They moved to New York when they were like 18 or something. And then I was born in Boston, grew up in Boston. I moved to Puerto Rico a little bit had some space there and then moved back. So I was just curious. You made the connection already. You have this inherent almost like gut reaction whenever there are (laughs) whenever there are two groups that um, are not necessarily at odds, but maybe not communicating as much. Does that ever feel like a burden? I mean, you mentioned being the one in your family. And I know other children of I was gonna say children of immigrants. I don't know if that term is correct for someone from Puerto Puerto Rico. Puerto Ricans are technically part of America. Right. So So um, we're just moving over. Right. (laughs) I guess I should say children of people who speak other languages often do carry that burden of having to 
grow up faster. And and I'm I'm not trying to sum up your entire life into some like small <laughs> short narrative, but I guess that's all to say. Does it feel like a burden sometimes that you have this gut reaction like I have to connect everyone? A little bit, yeah. I think it's more solving the translation problem, mm-hmm. like whatever that is. I've learned to control it for myself to be like, okay, some things you just cannot touch yeah. or cannot explain. It's a lot of empathy. It's a lot of communication. It's a lot of translation. And so those are the things that I think drive me as a person and drive us as as a company. How can we be empathetic to the people who are who are just trying to get this stuff done? And yeah, I, does it feel like a burden? Maybe sometimes, yeah. <laughs> but I don't think of it that way. I think right. of it as like my translation is my superpower. Uh, that's cool. Like, how can I use my superpower to fix this issue that I see here? Catherine, jumping over to you, I'm curious if you had anything different or, or additional about where you get that energy for sort of yeah. the, the strategic long-term communication, networking, marketing, all that stuff. There's a bit of overlap in in what we're talking about here. And I'm, I'm really glad you actually brought it up because it I'm having like almost these like therapy realization moments as we're talking. And I'm like, oh yeah, that makes so much sense. So I think a lot of our passions around helping others and creating deeper conversation is definitely a big driver of what we want to do and what we want to build for the long term. I'll be blunt, I guess, and say that I think a lot of my passion comes from trauma. My trauma has been like lots of deaths in the family from when I was young. I've had these moments where I've realized that I needed to find an outlet for having very real conversations with people. Um, Mm. I find a lot of times that when you've gone through a grief that people look at you a little bit differently and they kind of want to keep sort of the conversation surface level. Yeah. (laughs) And they're like, oh, you know, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, how, you know, what are you watching nowadays? And it's like, oh, okay, we're not just going to talk about this trauma. Cool. (laughs) Right. right. um, (laughs) So, yeah, I think for me, it's being able to create a space that allows people to bring their honest selves into a workplace because Mm. so much of the time and a lot of different places I've worked at, I've always felt that like surface level, everything's good. We're just getting by or we're grinding through the day and we're getting our stuff done. But I find that the best places that I've worked at are the places where we got to be the most real with each other because we all have the motivation to make our workplaces better. So that I think is a lot of what my passion comes into and what drives me is like, how do I create deeper conversations? You both have these really strong visions of what a company can be, what a studio can be, what business can be. Day to day, are you impatient for that vision as you have to do some of these smaller things like being strategic about marketing or like, how will this project get us another client? How will this demo reel attract this client? Is it hard to keep your eyes on the prize of these like bigger, deeper visions? I'll be the first to raise my hand and say, hi, I'm <laughs> Catherine. I'm the impatient one. <laughs> That's for sure uh, something I've been wrestling with for the last, even I want to say a couple of years. I'm definitely impatient, but I'm much more patient than Catherine <laughs> and maybe Karen as well when she was here. I've always been super patient about long-term growth and goals and achieving them. The way we tie in the values to what we do on a day-to-day basis is something that we've thought about a lot. When we started the company, we were thinking about, okay, what does this company stand for? What are the values? And we came up with those fairly quickly together. And then we thought about what is our vision? And we couldn't necessarily figure out one vision because the vision changes as you grow. So we actually made it a pyramid based on the five stages of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, where Mm -hmm. one vision is really about 
sustaining ourselves, being sort of grounded in all of the stuff that we have. And then it's like self-esteem and then up the chain. So we're sort of halfway between stage one and stage two right now in terms of our goals for our company. There were times when maybe we were still trying to figure that out. And we took a bunch of classes and courses. So, you know, if you're a creative out there, don't feel bad that you haven't thought about these things. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Are you talking to me analysis. or? <laughs> no, no. Not, not at all. Not at all. But, you know, if you're thinking about these things now, that's okay too. Like you don't have to do it from the beginning. And, you know, the hindsight 2020 kind of approach is totally fine. So long as you're, I think, practicing the like, I'm going to get better by learning from this experience. Right. Um, okay. I'm going to feel very awkward if I'm wrong about this, but you're a couple, right? Correct. Okay. And the, yes. the, I, I pretty much knew that, but I asked because like, I've known you for a while and actually don't, I mean, I don't know the timeline here, but there were many years where I just knew you as business partners. So mm-hmm. I guess my first question is, is that something you intentionally downplay or is it more just you just don't really <laughs> yeah, think about had, it one way or the other. We had many a discussion at the start <laughs> of our relationship about this. At the start, it was absolutely intentional. Will, I think you have a stronger reasoning for where that comes from. I still consider it an intentional downplay just because a couple of things. A lot of the times it's like the fear that that will look a certain way mm-hmm. either on Catherine or on myself. We can't be professional for whatever reason. The other thing that happens is like, oh, that's the girlfriend of X man or right. you know that's the that's the partner of x person i don't want that we're two individual people and if you see us as two separate entities then you have just a different feeling of who we are and how we operate rather than like oh they're just together and that's like a different thing yeah. it sounds like maybe you're trying to avoid the assumption which unfortunately often the assumption is that like oh the man is in charge and the woman is yep. tagging <laughs> along but you're trying to avoid the assumption that one of you is actually the owner and the other one is the whatever the relationship version yeah. of a nepo baby is or whatever like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah and that right. that comes exactly. even even on the the side of having to register ourselves as a women-owned business, like we Mm. had to prove it wasn't just like myself and Karen sort of behind the scenes and then the man was doing all the work on the back end. Like, you know, we had to prove our, our worth in a sense. I definitely understand that the intentionality behind our decision throughout the years now it's an even more interesting question because as two people now, like the That's first what, yeah. thing a friend told me was like, oh, you guys are like a family business now. And I was like, oh, <laughs> you know, totally different perspective. Did your relationship predate the company or vice versa? No, it, it happened, uh, I guess, throughout the company's development. I see. Um, okay, but we've cool. also, Will and I specifically have been friends for over a decade, at least. I first met Will at Hampshire College because he was my TA in my very first animation class. So yeah, so we've been friends for a long time. We've had relationships with different people over the years. As we were working on the business, it kind of just became sort of a natural occurrence for us, which was really nice that it could happen that way. But it did raise a lot of initial questions. As people are going through the like falling in love stage of a relationship, uh, you want to make sure that when you're thinking about business development and objectives and aligning people, that there's no bias between two sides, you know, especially if you're in a group of three. It's one of the drivers, I think, that, and maybe this will be a side topic, but it was one of our drivers for going to business therapy. You know, we sit down with a business therapist every single month and she talks through our miscommunications and our biases and our assumptions. That was incredibly transformative for our business to make sure that like we show up intentionally at every single meeting, making sure that we're keeping our bias out of the door. I mean, 
if I were a business therapist too, which I'm not, but it sounds like a cool job. <laughs> man, there's so many questions that a company of three people where two people are a couple, that raises a lot of questions. Uh, raises questions sounds like it's bad. I just mean like <laughs> there's a lot of interesting challenges there. And then you have this very recent transition. Yeah, what are some of the fears in this new era being just two co-owners? It's so easy for folks who are in a long relationship for a period of time, friends or otherwise, to start to feel like they know what the other people are going to say, right? Mm. It's very easy to be like, you know, I think Will's going to react this way. So I'm going to like change it up or I'm going to do this. More often than not, your assumption's almost always wrong. (laughs) So (laughs) at least for me, definitely making sure that I'm always staying educated about new ways to communicate, new ways to understand my own level of communication and how I'm responding to things. So I'm always hesitant. I've interviewed it through Animatic Boston, other couples who work together. And I'm always like worried when I dig in that people will think I'm like trying to hint at that weird old fashioned (laughs) heteronormative thing that like couples are always inherently at odds. How Mm. could you work together when he leaves his laundry on the floor and she doesn't make the bed? Like that's not my worldview on couples. Like I, I think we need to update this. But I am curious, what are some of the ways that working together has affected the relationship and vice versa. Yeah. It's one of the reasons why I think even before we started this conversation that uh, we mentioned, we have two separate offices in our home Mm -hmm. and that is intentional. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It's, you know, it's partly to avoid the sort of open workspace environment where you can hear other people on their phone calls Mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff, which can be distracting at times. I think it just comes through for like us trying to set as many intentions and as many boundaries as we can. Sometimes that means means us saying, you know, at six o'clock, we have to try our best. We don't (laughs) succeed all the time, but we have to try our best to not talk about work when we close the office door. I think it's mostly just through being open to any form of conversation, good or bad. Yeah. We've always been really good about setting boundaries with clients in terms of client calls and communications through to the freelancers. Like how do we manage that? So it's not overstepping our the boundaries that we've set. But internally for us, it's definitely a space, like it's a physical thing for me. It's being in this room, being in my office and being able to close the door at the end of the day and saying like, that's where work lives. Yeah, That's it. We're lucky enough to have a basement that's finished that has our sort of play space. So we get to kind of just like leave work upstairs in a way, Mm. you know, and like not think about it. I guess emotionally, I think some of the conversations that we've had have fueled some of the conversations that we had personally. Because when you think about a business owner, you know, you're kind of thinking about the vision of the company and where the company wants to go. But then you say, like, how does that tie into my personal dreams and goals? And when you're next to the person who also is supposed to share dreams and goals as well, do those tie in? What's the what's the soup here that we got to sort out? Like take out all the ingredients from the soup and say like, okay, we have some water and we have some noodles. How many things do we have? And so we've had those conversations and they've been good. I think they've been very helpful in figuring out like, okay, you know, a lot of the personal things also drive a lot of the business goals. What are some of the, your favorite things about being a couple who also happens to be business partners? That's a great question. I'm also interested in that answer. (laughs) (laughs) We're learning about each other today. How nice. (laughs) Inside of work, I'm 100% confident that Catherine can pull together the ask because usually I know like, what the limit is, like what the what the boundary of the ass could be. There's just like a shorthand for creative work. Yeah. That is kind of nice. That's cool. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Then maybe I'll add to the outside of work again. <laughs> um, because because we can have that separation, it also allows us to be able to like explore 
times that we can play and what that looks like going to hang out with other couple friends or times where we say, Hey, we need to go off and go hang out with friends separately Mm. (laughs) and give each other that space. We can say, Oh, we're going to go hang out with our friends and, and let that be a beautiful thing. Because I think in some ways, a lot of times when we do that, we have new experiences to share with each other, whether that's traveling somewhere new, making space for playing a board game or doing something, you know, silly if we need to. And bringing back that back to the table. I went off on this trip. I came back. Here's a thing I learned. Let me share that with yeah. you. This is how we can integrate it into the company. I mean, there's, some, there's something to be said about the idea that, like, I think it would be impossible to actually separate your work life from personal life, unless you're in that TV show severance. (laughs) But I think if we can use that in a way to play to our strengths a bit to Mm. say like, you know, we want to go off and create new experiences for ourselves that allow us to bring something back into the business sort of holistically or intentionally that will drive our next set of passions. I feel grateful and lucky that we're able to do that. And i honestly hadn't thought about it that way before. So I I appreciate you bringing up the question. Maybe I should be a business therapist um, (laughs) or a couple or something. Yeah. I almost want to pass the the question back to you as well. That question is also leading to gratefulness for me. I don't run a business with my wife, but we are both professional independent artists. So we both in similar and different ways are looking for clients to make art for. She is a uh, mosaic artist and I'm an animator, uh, studio person, freelancer slash studio owner slash identity <laughs> crisis slash. But, I want to uh, put that on a website somewhere. Oh like gosh. as we're branding to companies, we're going through an identity crisis. Yeah. <laughs> like, join us. <laughs> that actually kind of is good. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, but I think what I'm grateful for is both my wife and I are pretty equally career driven. We both are very passionate about creating work that we're proud of, that makes an impact. We're both very passionate about challenging ourselves, learning new things. I feel very, very supported because we're able to have those conversations. And there's a mutual understanding of the challenges. I never feel like my work and my career is in conflict with our relationship. There's a complete understanding of how important that is to me. I have a teammate in prioritizing that, not an adversary. That brings up something that one thing that I think I'm I'm also very grateful for is that I think we have the ability to kind of recognize that we're trying to build something really wonderful and meaningful and, mm-hmm. and special together. We don't know what's going to happen with the business fully. We're going to fight to make it work as much as we can. But at the end of the day, even if that situation changes, it doesn't change our relationship and, and who we are. We got to get to our lightning round soon. There's a lot I want to talk to you. I, we can talk all day. <laughs> I know. We and, can always go for hours. Yeah. yeah. I have a, a few sort of miscellaneous topics. Catherine, I saw you posted online something about proposing like more networking events that aren't centered around alcohol. Yeah. And that kind of made me think of a broader question that I'm curious to ask you because both of you do a lot of networking slash community events. I always say I hate the word networking. We need a business therapist to like really dig into why. But, um, <laughs> but you, you both in part of your high dive form go to networking community events. So in addition to, you, feel free to speak on the alcohol thing, but I'm curious in general, like are there other things you would love to change about that world of networking? So <laughs> much. Yeah, go ahead, Will, before no, I- No, no, that, that I, question's no, no, for you. I'll go into my long rank, but go, go ahead. <laughs> well, so one of the biggest 
biggest problems I see in networking events is that people form cliques, mm. right? Everyone goes there like, oh yeah, we're all going as an event. And usually it's like, oh, we're going as a company. And so it's like four people from the same place. Yeah. And people they've already met, they already <laughs> know them. Yeah. And then they like huddle in a little circle and they just talk to each other. It doesn't make any sense. So <laughs> I proposed a long time ago, and this might be one of our bad ideas. <laughs> it is. It is. Just I like know exactly where robot, you're going. I forget what it's called. We called it's it like Walvo. Walvo. Yeah. It's a robot like the one inside of um, Stop and Shop. What's that? Oh, Marty. That Marty. Yeah. Marty that like walks around, cleans the floors or whatever. Well, okay. Wait, this I thing... have a side tangent rant about Marty that I just have to put in here. Okay. <laughs> Please do. Mar- Marty to me represents an apocalyptic future because you said Marty, Mar- <laughs> you said Marty cleans the floor. That is a misconception. Marty <laughs> strolls around the store and when something has fallen, he uh-huh. stops and beeps until a human being cleans it up. <laughs> so this this monolithic, googly-eyed, soulless monster outranks Stop and Shop's hardworking employees. Right, right. And I think that is backwards. Anyway, sorry, go on. Wal- no, Walvo? I, I no, wholly agree. So yeah. I wholly agree. So Walvo would come around and he would be flat and long okay. and he would basically like cut into your click of circle. And so he would start moving you towards other people slowly. But he'd also yeah. be interactive. So the wall exactly. is a touch screen and you can play games on it with other people. So. Oh, interesting. So yeah. I like the interactive part. Before you said that, my pitch or, or my sort of yes and here was perhaps Walvo to be, and maybe this is my like anti-robot sentiment, <laughs> perhaps Walvo is like a really cute sheep dog that corrals mm. you into mm. different clicks. Mm-hmm. But Absolutely. Like no, that's fair. So it doesn't have to be a robot. It could be a human being <laughs> I like that goes I like, around I like some robots. breaking up clicks. You know what I mean? Yeah. Someone who's like high charisma yeah. and like, you know, just break up the clickiness mm-hmm. for a second. Yeah. So I, I think my take on networking is like this level of, I want to say inaccessibility for a lot of mm. people. That's the stuff I love going to do. I love schmoozing. I love shaking hands. I love yeah. meeting people. I'm an extrovert. That gives me life <laughs> to be able to go meet as many people as I possibly can, I feel very confident in those spaces and I can navigate, you know, keeping a conversation going and navigating relationships. I feel like I know how to work more of a room, but just there's so many people I've talked to, especially artists who are introverted (laughs) and understandably want to like present their work to people rather than talking about themselves. And so I try to tell a lot of mentees that I talk to and students that I talk to that you're there not to show your work. You're there to build a relationship with someone, Mm -hmm. how to make that initial connection can be really hard, especially if it's just sort of a generic networking event centered around alcohol. And it's like, okay, well, I I don't drink alcohol, so I don't don't want to be a part of this. I've always had ideas of trying to invite creative play into different networking opportunities. Why can't we do a networking opportunity at an escape room? That would be really cool. Why does it have to always be at a bar? So I have lots of questions and ideas around how we can do things differently. There's lots of different opportunities for growth, I think, in that industry that we haven't really addressed yet. It's great for me sometimes as an extrovert, but that doesn't mean it, it works well for everybody else who needs to go network. It can be frustrating at times for sure. It's definitely something that we've talked about as a company. When we want to host events someday, what is that going to look like? We have so much room for like letting our creativity shine in there. So I'm, I'm excited for those opportunities. I love that. All right. We are going to jump into our lightning round. What is something you learned the hard way 
that you would be happy to just share with folks so that they could learn it the easy way by hearing it from you and not have to go through all that trouble. The importance and value of conflict and Mm. what that can create in both a business and as individuals and getting comfortable with that. We don't have time for all my therapy stuff, but it comes from a deeper place. If you haven't practiced it in your life, take a conflict management course for mm-hmm. sure. Because as as an avid conflict avoider, <laughs> I can say that uh, you just have to get the tools and resources you need to be able mm-hmm. to practice and get comfortable with that. It doesn't mean you have to live in conflict now or, or be like, right. okay, now I'm a, I'm a conflict person. I'm going to go get conflict. But I think there's something there about recognizing the value that it can actually bring to the table and how it can actually strengthen relationships in different situations. I'm right with you on that journey <laughs> as, as a conflict averse person who has learned to live in that discomfort mm-hmm. or is learning to. I love conflict. I know. <laughs> All about it. Bring I it know on. you do. It feeds me. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but a- along those lines, one thing that I learned that I think the hard way was that trauma drives passion. I believe that. If you can dig deeper into your traumas, I think you will find a passionate thing in there and that will drive a lot of the stuff that you can create as an artist. I use my traumas daily to, you know, you talked about that fuel and it's in there somewhere. If you have to pull it out and it, and it takes a little bit and it's hard, but if you go through it, you'll get to a place where you can say, okay, this is why I'm going to go in this direction. Yeah. Know? Very mm-hmm. quick case yeah. in point, because it circles back to everything we've talked about today. Mm-hmm. Over the last year or so, because of my trauma with things like death and grief and my need for creative play, mm-hmm. I developed a board game to have conversations around death. Yes. And so it, yeah, it like all comes together in sort of a perfect like semblance of my own form of therapy of what I need for myself. And it fuels conversation. It hits that sweet spot of like using creativity and trauma and passion. With your specific example of the board game about death, which I had the honor of helping test yes. out last year, which I which love. Awesome. It was yeah. so fun. Well, thank you. Yeah. Did you find any healing in that process? A hundred percent. I find that a lot of the ways I use my creativity now are fueling my healing through therapy and different things of that nature. Mm -hmm. Most recently, I wrote a TV script for a show that I want to work on based around therapy and animation. Yeah, there's like lots of ways that every time I write or develop something or express myself, it is another catalyst for getting out my feelings and my expression. It definitely heals for sure. The second lightning round question, what is something you learned the hard way that you're glad you learned the hard way? For you, there was no better way to learn than to go through it. I don't think there's any shortcut to understanding or or empathizing with people. Getting to a place where you understand the other person and how they are and what they feel and how that relates to the conversation that you're having or the thing that you're trying to do together, there is no easy way yeah. to to get through that without getting through it. I think learning about leadership the hard Mm. way has been really, really uh, sort of insightful because I think there's this idea similar to even both leadership training and things like DEI trainings that you can take a hundred webinars and a hundred different courses, but if you're not doing the work within yourself to actually make any kind of (laughs) impactful change, then it's just going to fall flat and you're not really doing the work in that way. And so I think there's something very hard about unlearning everything you've known about yourself and like (laughs) the way in which you need to extract that and let that go so that you can learn how to step into leadership and inclusivity in a new way. But that work 
makes me a stronger person for it. Yeah, I'm with you. I feel like I've really learned that the hard way. And for me, a lot of it is like all things learning on the job that I talked about, you know, my hindsight thing, right? It's like, (laughs) what I found is hard to sit with is that I've learned from the mistakes I've made with leadership, but I have to live with the discomfort that those mistakes potentially hurt someone else. Yeah, it's very true. That's I think it goes back a little bit to that idea of conflict, learning how even if there was a, a hard situation that you had to go through, and you had to learn at the end of the day, you're coming out stronger for it. It's part of life and it makes us more human for it when we make mistakes and learn from them, even if it created hardship at the end. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> no, um, no notes. No notes. <laughs> <laughs> and then our last lightning round question uh, for each of you is what is a favorite thing to do that has nothing to do with animation or running an animation company or all, the, oh, all your sort of other stuff around that's that? That's me. I got that. Yeah. Uh, I got one. Yeah. Okay. Do you want to go first? No, you know, you okay. I'm so excited. Yeah. So for <laughs> me, it's uh, my ultimate goal, kind of, again, t- a, a little bit tied to the business, but sort of adjacent in that I want to be able to every single quarter take like a week long vacation. Mm. Um, and so traveling the world is what I want to go do. If I had, you know, in my perfect world, I could learn every language that exists in the world. That would be cool. Uh, yeah, I want to I want to be at least multilingual. I want to go explore different cultures and just get different perspectives and be able to, even if there's a language barrier, still be able to connect with people because I think that's still what fuels me. So yeah, any chance I get to like save up for a trip, we're saving up for Japan right now and I want to go for a whole month and like that's a lifetime dream that that's- I've been waiting for. Mine is super grounded. Staying home. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, sort of. 3D printing. I'm really into 3D printing. I have a 3D printer at home. It's my second one. It's currently going through some things. (laughs) (laughs) Is it having an identity crisis? It's learning something uh, the hard way. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, there's something about physical things that I like making, especially useful things. I think a lot of 3D printing happens to be like, little tchotchkes like things that you don't really need and i just try to find the most useful how can i make the things that i need in my life that don't exist in real life i like the intricateness of it measuring to the millimeter Mm. like it's all the technical stuff that i really love about it see for me it's like don't put me near a ruler I'm like it's not for, <laughs> but so I appreciate and admire that that is a, a skill that you love and are passionate about. What about you, Alex? What do My you... favorite things? Oh gosh, yeah. nobody's ever <laughs> asked me that you. before. <laughs> really? uh, I, I probably talked about. It. I I'd say the first thing that comes to mind is I really like cooking. I find that mm. very grounding. That's something that the more often I'm doing it, the more grounded I feel, and the better my internal boundaries between the creative stuff I do for work and the creative stuff I like to do around the house, like cooking feel. Thanks for asking. One one day when we all take a group trip together, we're going (laughs) to, we're going to go somewhere that has a joint kitchen scenario. So you can cook. We'll travel somewhere. So they'll feed me. And then will you'll have some 3d print print the plate. Yes. (laughs) I was going to say that we had an idea for another bad idea once that was, it was called printed and it was like a, it was an entire 3d printed restaurant, like down to like the tables and the chairs and the napkins, (laughs) really impractical stuff that you, you know, don't need to have 3d printed. 
Okay, so can I add to this? I'm, I'm always like bouncing <laughs> yes, off please. your pitches. First of all, I don't think this is a bad idea. I think this is a very <gasps> yes. cool concept. Thank but yes. <laughs> what I think takes it over the edge is, and I'm not sure if this technology exists or not yet, if there's a way to 3D print certain types of food. food? They are, yeah. They're 3D printing yeah. pizza now. Okay. Yeah. So yes. bring that into the restaurant because then you have this really cool, I mean, <laughs> the Instagram influencers will be all over it. You could do a high-end thing where you're printing like weird molecular gastronomy stuff mm. yeah i'm happy to be the third co-founder <laughs> I'm, I'm fine working with a couple yes uh, yes <laughs> happy to have you um if people want to find and follow you what's the best way for them to do so let's see on the social media side it's just at open pixel studios with an s at the end i want to be clear about that there's a company in like belgium i think called open pixel studio and they do architecture and sometimes uh, they get tagged on some yeah. of our stuff oh, so so, yes, Open Pixel Studios. And then, uh, Will, you want to plug the podcast? Yeah. So, we run a podcast called Behind the Pixel. It is a podcast where we, it's really for marketing and communications professionals. And we're trying to explain how animation and other creative artworks are created and how communication between those two groups transpires. And we offer help and advice to bridge those gaps and clear the way for future work. Yeah. yeah. And- as a listener, I'll say, um, I, first of all, I like it just because I like you guys as hosts. But I also, I really like your mission of connecting the art side and the and the marketing side. The way that you're doing it is fun and entertaining and digestible and cool. So I highly recommend this podcast, especially to really anyone in the business or animation side. Yeah, I really appreciate that. And yeah, yeah it was really. like, it was a pleasure having you on as well, because I, I know there's <laughs> yeah. going to be a lot of folks who are going to learn a ton from you. We Absolutely. took away insights from it that were like, oh, yeah, that makes so much <laughs> sense. We're going to do it this way now. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. It was super fun to be a guest. So thanks. Will, Catherine, thank you so much for being on. I loved this conversation. I say this a lot, but I truly love this. <laughs> we did too. You say that to all your guests. <laughs> but you know what? No one else has ever asked me the lightning round question. So ah, I feel seen. I feel special. <laughs> um, work here is done. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Cool. Well, I hope to see you again soon. I hope I never accidentally stand you up again. Yeah, we should clear that up. We do not remember that. No. Yeah. We don't remember it that <laughs> you, way. Yeah, you're good. I mean, me. I mean, yeah. if if for any reason, like we happen to do that at some point in our relationship, then we're even. So it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna meet you guys in Madrid or something. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Where are yeah, that big trip we planned. <laughs> and then I see pictures of you just uh, 3D printing in your basement. <laughs> perfect perfect cool well thank you so much and uh we'll talk soon thanks yeah thank you for having us thank you again to will and Catherine. thank you for listening do all the podcast things that they always say share like subscribe review rate Think of that as like putting a dollar in the tip jar. Uh, we have some great ratings, but I actually could use some reviews. So if you have a moment, write a couple sentences about why you like this podcast on whatever app you listen to it on. 
and send this episode to a friend who you think would benefit from some of the inspiration or just find it interesting. That's how I find new podcasts from friends sending me episodes. So I imagine some people out there find podcasts that way too. Thank you to my brother, Adam Salzberg, for mixing this episode and getting it to your ears. The theme music is by Typist, Adam's solo project. As always, I like to recommend another episode to listen to if you want to keep the good times going. I'll recommend Anthony Marquette, who also runs a Massachusetts business, also puts a lot of intentional thought into his values and how his business is going to run and grow. And the business also has the word pixel in it. So there you go. Also, as we mentioned in the episode, a few weeks ago, I was on Catherine and Will's podcast, Behind the Pixel, and I'm going to share that on the I Love This Conversation feed next week as a bonus episode. But if you can't wait, it's already up on their feed. You should subscribe to them anyway, especially if you're in the animation business, which I suspect many of you are. I'll be back in two weeks with a guest that I recorded here in Tel Aviv, and I'm so excited for you to hear that one. Like, I can't wait. So check back next week for a bonus and in two weeks for that and talk soon.